Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, you're tuned to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. Well, I've got two people in the studio this morning that uh, most of you listeners haven't heard for a little while and I haven't seen for a little while as well. So first up, I have to say a very good morning to Margot McDonald. Morning, Margot. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. And wasn't it lovely to get a bit of cool weather overnight? Oh, didn't we need it? <laughs> Unbelievable. First time I'm glad of a south wind. Yes. Very good. Absolutely. And we also have to welcome on board Simon Rickard. Morning, Simon. Morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. Ah, So you're both from similar areas. Um, How's the weather been treating you up there? Well, I'd say it's been pretty hot. (laughs) (laughs) It's been unusually hot. I was just saying, actually, to um, to Margot that I usually have my fire running over summer because I'm quite high up in altitude. And so even in summer, I can have to light a fire. But this year, no, not at all. It's just been so <laughs> relentlessly hot and yes, dry. Yes, And I'm just wondering if this is the new normal, Margot. Possibly, yes. We're, at least we're not as hot as Melbourne, mm. you know, or tropical, really. Mm. We don't get those uh, so much, um, you know, humidity as, mm. as you do, Pam. Mm. So I'm thankful for that. But <laughs> yes, we could do with some more rain, that's for sure. I tell you what, there's a lot of gardeners out there that are having problems with um, fungal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I heard you talking about that last week. Yes. And I have to skite and say, no. <laughs> it's so dry. The tomatoes are good. The roses are good. Yes. Not, well, you know, I could get back and there will be those white spots. But. <laughs> No, so far so good. I've had shocking white fly this year. Big Have clouds you? of them, you know. You walk really? past your bean plants and clouds no. of white fly. They'll go up your nose and in your ears. Yeah. And also my pet peonies this year have had a really, some kind of bad wilt. I think it might be verticillium wilt, which is really oh. serious. It's, it's incurable. It's a fungal <gasps> disease that affects the So do the you have to rip them vascular. all out? Well, um, ideally, yes, but I'm not going to because these are very rare and you know, mm. plants that I've yeah. are slow growing as well. So yeah. I think it's just a question of management. You know, you just have to manage it as you see the symptoms and and keep bolstering the immune system of the plant with you know really lots of love, lots of food and water and so forth, mm. and look after the soil and hope for the best. Is it is it in the soil, Simon? Yes, it's is that soil where it comes born. from? Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. mine is just brown from plain old not enough water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly hard to keep up with it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 But anyway. Lots of burnt foliage this year, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yep. Summer's just hard work, really, isn't mm, it? Mm. When you get the heat, you've really got to be out there morning, all night. And, well, it's uh, interesting because all the British garden books, you know, talk about how hardy plants are. They're hardy to minus 5, hardy to minus 15, hardy to minus 20. But in Australia, really, it's summer heat that is our limiting growth yeah. factor. Oh, I yes. Yep. You know, we should look at how, how well a plant takes heat in summer. Because, I mean, winter cold's not really a thing for us compared with America no, or No, if you Europe. plant the right, you know, appropriately, then, yeah, yeah they right. should be coping, but it's that summer. That's yeah. right. Yeah, mm. I've got a camellia, one camellia I have, yep. and it's a hyuru, which, yes, which has got, like, the bendy, Japanese-y sort of look. Treated it, grown it from a little tiny thing, and this year it's just all burnt on the top and it, looking mm. very sad. Mm. And it's just that radiant heat. Mm. Nothing more than that. Mm. 
But the irony is, um, our summer this year really started off quite mild and, mm, and, very. and everything stayed green mm. for, for ages. We were, we were just getting that little bit of rain, yeah. you know, at, yeah. at nice intervals. Which was keeping everything going and then suddenly wham. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, but things put on so much more growth because it was mild. Because of, we had a right. bit of rain every now and again and that's they grew right. like the bilio. Yeah. Yep. And then suddenly being hit with Ooh. the heat. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. good. Right. <laughs> Gardeners are never happy, are no, they? No, we never are. <laughs> no, I am happy. I'm happy. But yes, you look at those scorched leaves and you go, oh dear. But I've, I've even resorted to putting, um, getting old sheets out this year. And covering putting, it. Yeah, and pegs and, you Forget know, what go, the garden looks yeah, like. Yeah, and then you <laughs> think, oh, yeah, I'll leave that because tomorrow's going to be hot and then you forget to water it because oh. it's covered up and, yep. oh, yeah. I'll be glad when summer's finally over. Yeah. 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 Even if it's winter up your way. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of get resigned to that, but, um, Last year we had a really corker of a of a wind. I remember, remember that. Yeah. Yes. It well, we got so minus many. eight. You, what did you get on minus that weekend? Minus nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, mm. Dang, I can't <laughs> compete with you in Trenton. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, we had minus eight and then a minus seven the following morning. Right. And our hot water system. We got solar. Mm. All just shattered. Mm. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah, and I don't know what to do. You know, it can happen again. So. Well, that's right. And, you know, that was $2,500. There you go. And do you claim it on your house insurance, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. So, yeah, and I think that is the norm, that we're going to get these really severe You bouts. need a little roller blind on the roof. <laughs> Press the button. and I'll, I'll go and put the sheets up there for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I don't know what to do. But anyway, there we go. Yeah. So. Well, that's not something people would think about automatically when they install solar. No. Well, the other one, we've got solar panels for normal electricity, but right. this is on the hot water system. Oh. Right. And that just shattered and because mm. water dripping everywhere. Oh, and goodness no. that, That's happened to me twice, actually. Has it? Yeah. Really? And um, the company, repl- oh, they said, oh, you need a f- you need two frost valves and, and oh, I don't know, they, they tried to tell me it was my fault and yeah. anyway. Same. Funny so, they always they, do that. Oh, after I'd been at them for a couple of months, they finally agreed to put a new panel on at their expense with two frost valves on it and then um, two weeks later the same thing happened again. <gasps> and no. I should have got back Onto them, but honestly, I just couldn't be bothered with the no, drama. No, it, it gets too yes. much, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there it is. Yeah. They would have said, see, it's definitely your fault now. You've just proved it. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, they claimed that it was, you know, rated for, for cold like our area. I did explain that it was especially cold, but. No, don't oh, well. they don't understand. Until <laughs> <laughs> you live there, you don't understand. No, yeah, exactly. Right. Oh dear. All right. Well, I must get on with some community announcements first up. Uh, now, if you haven't got any plans for today, there are two shows on today. They opened yesterday, but they're running through again today. The first is the State Daily Show, and uh, this is uh, running from 10 a.m. through to 3.30 today. It's at the Mount Waverley Youth Centre, which is at 43 Miller Crescent, Mount Waverley, opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station. And uh, admission is $5, pensioners $2, children are free. Highlights are fabulous display of dahlias, cut flower sales, plant sales, Devonshire teas, kids' corner with activities involving dahlias. What do you think that would actually be, <laughs> Simon? Any I, ideas? I have no idea, I'm sure. Um, a headband made out of dahlias. Oh, yeah. You know, like we used to make yeah. daisy chains, perhaps? I guess... Colouring in pictures of dahlias, maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe learning how to 
Maybe pre- pressing flowers. I don't know. Yeah, Interesting. I don't know either. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Um, there'll be a photographic exhibition and um, also, of course, expert dahlia growers on hand to give advice. So, again, that's uh, happening today, 10 a.m. through till 3.30. Now, the other one on today is the uh, show by the Melbourne Begonia Society. And uh, it's taking place at the NG Wishart Senior Citizens Hall. This is at 964 Nepean Highway in Moorabbin. Melway's reference there is 77D6. And uh, this one is 10 a.m. through till 3 o'clock this afternoon. There'll be display and sales of begonias, uh, many varieties only available at the show. Entry for that one is $3.00. Devonshire tea and sausage sizzle available for that one as well. All right, now coming up, uh, our good friends down at uh, Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, the uh, Friends Group, are starting up the year with their um, all their activities again, and their first one comes up next Sunday, 4th of March. Now, this is a, um, a talk. It should be a very, very interesting talk. Um, and it's entitled Beckler's Botanical Bounty. Now, uh, it will take place in the Australian Garden Auditorium at Cranbourne. Cost members of the Friends Group $15, non-members $20. Now, the background to the, oh, and students $5, which I always think is wonderful. But the background to this is that, um, it, it's based on, uh, the exploration, uh, of Burke and Wills in, uh, Victoria in 1860. Now, although that's familiar to most Australians, what's less, less acknowledged is the considerable scientific legacy left by the scientists who joined the expedition. And, uh, one in particular, in particular, was a botanist, and, um, this role was fulfilled by part-time medical officer and botanical collector, Dr. Herman Beckler. Now, Beckler was, uh, to resign from the expedition when it reached Menindi on the Darling River. He remained there awaiting a replacement doctor for the expedition and was at last able to make considerable progress with his botanical findings. He sent 120 plant specimens to Mueller at the uh, Melbourne Herbarium where they are still housed. Now, only one plant specimen was painted in the field and this task was never completed. So as part of the 150th recognition of the expedition, a group of Melbourne botanical artists decided to celebrate uh, Beckler's contribution by revisiting his plant collections uh, that he made in Menindi. So every year since 2010, a group led by botanical artist Marlene Moore and with generous help from botanist Andrew Denham have spent time searching for, collecting and pressing specimens for lodgement in the Melbourne and Sydney herbariums and painting them. So uh, the afternoon will uh, we'll be covering all sorts of um, aspects of adventure, history, botany and art. Now there'll be uh, four guest speakers um, all talking about uh, about this, uh, the work of uh, Beckler, but also his contribution and about the project at hand at uh, trying to repaint uh, some of these uh, these uh, collections that were made. So a very interesting day. As I say, it's all happening next Sunday, 
4th of March, 2 till 4 in the auditorium. Refreshments will be served at the conclusion of the talks. Now, if you'd like to find out more information about that, you can contact Liz and her number is 5997-6130. Now, uh, also coming up uh, is the next... uh, Meeting of um, the uh, Australian Plant Society, uh, Keylor Plains Group. Now, this is coming up on Friday, March the 2nd, which, of course, is next Friday. And uh, Anne Langmaid and Chris Clark will be speaking about wildflowers of Western Australia. Uh, now, uh, Chris and Anne attended the spring wildflower trip with friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens last year. The meeting commences 745 the address is Rayleigh Road Activity Centre, 54 Rayleigh Road in Maribyrnong. Uh, plant sales before and after the talk, all are welcome. If you'd like more information, you can contact Anne and her details are 9336 uh, Coming up Saturday and Sunday, the 11th of March, will be the Fernie Creek Plant Collectors Sale. This, of course, takes place uh, up at Ferngate Creek, a hundred, well, it's actually Sassafras, 100 Hilton Road in Sassafras, which is where their wonderful garden is. They'll have rare plants, tools, books for sale, botanical art, there'll be guided garden walks, uh, free on-site parking, refreshments and lunch. Uh, now, that weekend's going to be a busy weekend because also that weekend you have um, the uh, Autumn uh, Festival, uh, taking place uh, up at uh, down, I should well, in terms of Melbourne, down at Heronswood. Uh, this is their harvest festival. They've got a very full program for that whole weekend. Um, it'll be nine till five on both the Saturday and the Sunday. There'll be production production garden tours, um, getting pro tips from our veggie experts. They take place at ten thirty and two. There'll be Heronswood garden tours at eleven thirty and three. Free mini workshops, uh, these will take place at staggered times. Uh, they'll be on green manures, berries for the home gardener, citrus, bananas and avocados, growing summer vegetables. Um, there'll be a summer taste test at between 11 and 2. Um, you can have lunch on the magnificent pool lawn. Um, bookings are essential for that one. There'll be children's garden activities and face painting as well. Now, um, Entry for Diggers Club members and children under 16 is free. For visitors, it's $10. Now, the following weekend, uh, Cloud Hill have got its Festival of Flowers. So that's 17th and 18th of March. And uh, once again, a huge uh, program of free mini workshops, children's activities. Um, there'll be garden tours taken by uh, the garden creator, Jeremy Francis. So lots and lots happening uh, in regard to the Diggers Club. And, um, of course, uh, the address for both, for Heronswood, the address is 105 Latrobe Parade there in Dramana. And for Cloud Hill Garden and Nursery, 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. All right, I might come back to a few of these other uh, announcements a little bit later, but that's certainly uh, plenty for people to go on with and to pop into their diaries if they're interested in one of those. 
It's high time we did open our lines for our listeners. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, we have Simon Rickard and Margot McDonald in the studio, so we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Well, this morning we have Rosemary, uh, sorry, we have Robin on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Robin, the number is 94198377. That's 94198377. Margot, you've brought in an array of incredible flowers and some of the colours are just stunning. I have indeed. Um, Yes, I hope you're all jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The last few years we've been growing some of the Agastaches. uh, Hummingbird mint, I think, is the common name from America, I think. The Americas and some from East Asia too, from Korea and China. Oh, gosh, Mm. well, that's widespread. But they're really useful plants They're from the mint family, would you believe, but they seem to tolerate drought really well and they flower almost forever. You can give them a chop and they'll come back. They're like a salvia, really. They have, you know, um, a basal clump with lots of stems with flowers on the top and the bees and the birds just adore them. You can hear them a mile off, really. Um, We've been growing mainly the sweet lily one, which was like first on the market, and that gets up to, to waist high or a bit more. And, you know, after in the third year, it's massive, it's huge, and just flowers and flowers and flowers. And it's sort of after all that spring fluff is over. Yeah. So <laughs> now you've got some summer fluff, reliable summer fluff. And it's, it's really good. But this one I've brought in today is one of the blue ones which haven't been as readily available. And this one's called Blue Boa. And it's got a bluey purple flower and lovely green leaves, whereas some of them are more grey. And it's just a, a fabulous little blue plant. Mm. Comments, please, Simon. <clears throat> oh, Agastache is one of my favourite genera of perennials. I love them. And you're right, Sweet Lily, I think, is in one of my top five perennials. And that was selected by David Glenn from Lamley Nursery. So oh, that's an Australian you, selection. Yeah, exactly. And Marshmallow Pink, that beautiful colour. And, uh, and I grow another one called Salmon and Pink, where the flowers open sort of um, mallow pink, but then age to an orange colour. And I've got the Agastache orantiaca, which is one of the wild desert species from uh-huh. California. Yeah. And it's got orange uh, orange flowers. And a lot of people go, oh, yuck, I don't like orange oh, in my garden. Oh, I love garden. the orange. But the, well, if you look closely at this one, the, the flowers are orange, but the stems are mauve. So it mixes really well with mauves and pinks and all those, you know, sort of colours like that. So, But that blue bow you've got here today, Margot, mm. is really superb. That colour's glowing, isn't it? Well, I've yet to see how big, it, whether it's as vigorous as the sweet lily, mm. the pink one, mm-hmm. but... Um, hopefully it is. Mm. Um, and I've had another little one, um, which is blue, mm. that's been self-sowing all by itself. So I'm very happy with that Of course, that the family. foliage smells beautiful, doesn't it? It's a yep. minty, citronellery. Um, how would you describe it? It's a beautiful, fruity smell. And there the, you go, the, Pam. The, have a little squash of smell of that. It's... It's and as minty. you said, Margot, it's in the it mint family. Minty. They're edible, and the, the flowers are edible in salads. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. yeah, yeah. Very closely related to the herb um, bergamot. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But needs a lot less water. That's right. I've yeah. given up trying with Probably that from the same common ancestor, but these, yeah. you know, became adapted to dry, and the bergamots are practically swamp plants, aren't yeah, they? they? Yeah, no good for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> What do you think about the smell, Pam? Yes. Beautiful, isn't it? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Definitely very minty. Yeah. Mm, but yeah. there's another, there's another mm, element. Lemony, You're right. citrusy, citronella yes. or yes. aniseed maybe? Aniseed? Mm, licorice? No, I get the citronella more. 
I wonder if it if it repels. I wonder at all. Be interesting. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. Thanks. Well, it certainly attracts the bees. So. Mm, yes, absolutely. And the and the birds love it. The little uh, eastern spinebills. Yeah. Yep. Mm. On mass, just just beautiful. So that that's one to look out for. So that's agastac. You say Agastachy, is that right? I, I, I say that, but who knows? It's Agastachy, Agastachy, who knows? Anyway, uh, Aurantica Blue Boa. And I can see why they called it Blue Boa, because the flowers look like little feather boas. Mm, they do, fluffy. <laughs> I'm thinking snake. But no, no. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Well, now I get it. Okay. Yes. Oh, dear, it takes one every minute. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm giving away my, my past here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dance or queen. We know that. <laughs> now, the second thing I've, I've brought in is just to show off, and hopefully Simon can't outdo me with this one, None. but oh. this year we've had um, tomatoes oh. in, and I have my to say, goodness, wow. this is the biggest one yet, and it weighs, this is... Um, f- 519 grams. Wow. Sorry, 619. We have one at 499 grams, 503 grams. Then this one we went, wow. oh, that looks More a bit bigger. A 619 grams. Gosh. So, so is, that a, is that a traditional beef steak tomato? No. No, well, no what, it is in the variety? beef steak. It's um, an heirloom, hairy loom as we call them. Um, <laughs> The black crim, it's called. Oh, oh it is a black crim. Yeah. I didn't know they got that big. Mm, well, no. I think. That's what I thought too. But um, I think this is because we've put it in a new bed, like a raised, you know, containery thing. Right. With all new soil and nothing's been grown in before. And I think that's mm. what's made the difference. Because all the four tomatoes we put in that bed are all just going gangbusters. Mm. Okay. So, so for bigger. the listeners at home, this, this, this tomato Margot's holding is, is square in shape <laughs> and uh, it's, it, it covers your entire hand when you sit it on top. It's, it's incredible. a big flat square tomato. Beautiful. And it's, uh, what is it, uh, sort of dark smoky brown colour. Black cream's actually my favourite tomato. Are you it's, kidding? Oh, yeah, it's go. from the Crimea originally. It's a 19th century variety from Crimea in Ukraine. And, uh, which is, was the food bowl of that area. It's got a, you know, really good food growing climate. But this variety tastes smoky and bacony. It's got yeah, a real savoury yes, yeah, flavour, doesn't it? Yeah. Not good for vegetarians, this one, because it tastes like meat. Well, no, I think it would be, because <laughs> they can get their meat without having to have it, it's the meat flavour. It's such a beautiful variety, isn't it? Well yeah. done, Margot. I'm uh, very jealous. Same. I, I mean, I'm just thrilled that, you know, got some success. <laughs> Six years without a veggie garden as such. Well, that's so the upside of the we'll hot summer, isn't it? You know, yeah. we, of course it is, yes. Yeah. So yeah. That gardening's like that, isn't it? Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. And I'm sure so your peonies burn, be but your tomatoes look great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't keep up. So I've got a whole bucket to give to my son after I leave here. Right. right. Oh, lucky him. So, yeah, no, all good. Um, will I go on with the next one? Yes, Pat? please yeah. do. Um, uh, recently, I went to the Dalesford Growing Friends of the Wombat Botanic Garden. Oh, okay. Yes. And... Um, you know, I, don't, I was just having a look and I thought, I'm not buying anything because I really don't need plants, so, you know. <laughs> Never say that if you're a gardener because gardeners can't help themselves. <laughs> but I did have $20 in my pocket just okay. in case. Yeah, there you go. You hedged your but that, bet. That was my limit. And guess how many I bought? How many? Four, because they're all five dollars. So nice. Yeah, yeah. And this one I couldn't go past. It's a Galadia, mm. which is a terrible name, but um, this one is bright red. Called deep salmon on their tag, but it is a bright red one. And I've been looking for plain-coloured Galadia for mm. years. I've come across the yellow one, but this one's bright red, and that suits my colour palette at mm. home. So I'm thrilled. That $5 plant will be highly prized. 
Um, and Galadias are just drought-hardy mm. summer Flowering again, a long flower. Do you know them, Panda? Yes, I do. Really I don't flowers. grow them myself. But no, because the, the main one you see around is very gaudy, the gaudy gaudy. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, it's it just flowers from the minute you plant it, probably mm, till mm. winter the frosts hit it. Mm. Um, and well, I think they're totally underutilized. I mean, yeah. it, as you say, they flower just forever, don't they? And I, I think people go. It's again, it's that people don't like hot colours in the garden. Oh, I only grow pastels. They say, I, I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm not having red in my garden, but you know, it flowers for six months. <gasps> that with the red, you know, the Bishop of Dahlia, exactly. Oh, Landolf yeah, Land- Land- yeah. Dahlia, just sensational. And then you, you know, have some yellows to offset it, and mm. purples, and and I've I've gone nuts at home on um, smoke bushes. And I've got about, oh, it must be six different varieties, okay. including a, a yellow one, okay. a limey yellow one, and that's doing really well. So that sort of combination, mm. fantastic. And I've even put in, oh, I hate to say this, but years ago I would not have used much, um, you know, with the white edging. What do you call that? Variegation. Uh, variegated yeah, plants. Yeah, variegated mm. plants. But I've, I was given a, um, a grass, a miscanthus, which is variegatus. And that, with this, it just tones it down, and it's fantastic. What a coincidence, Margaret, because I used to hate variegated plants, and that was the one that turned my head, that that miscanthus variegatus. It's so elegant, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Totally turned my head, and and now I I understand why variegation can work in a garden. Yep, and I've got, um, someone gave me, again, a a sedum with a white flower, ice Mm. It's called ice plant or something, and uh, that with the white in the variegation, mm. and then you've got the hot colours next to it, and your mm. veggies, your tomatoes, and so you know we created a picture this this spring summer. So mm. very happy with that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, so some of our gardens have really started to to embrace um, hot colours. You know, um, I mean, for instance, I, I think of Jeremy up in Cloud Hill, and he has a whole hot border, mm. yeah. which is so spectacular. Mm. And, and, you know, uh, other people are, are doing it. I, I, I don't know why people are resisting it mm. so much. because mm. um, I think it's just fear. It's, it's sort yeah, of, you know, fear and conservatism. People don't want anything that uh, is going to scare the neighbours too much. Yeah, or safe. <laughs> yeah safe, safe in their little world of, of white and pinks and That's things, right. like, you know, the pastel colours, which is all well and good, but i got... Sick of it. Yeah. So, you know, been there, done that, move on, what's, what's bold and vibrant. And yeah, and it yeah. makes a statement. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, it's all very well being pretty and delicate, but yeah. yeah. Well, Christopher Lloyd was kind of the first to do it in that British garden scene, and, yes. and he was thought of as a real renegade tearaway. Oh, just, he, he just he was, didn't yeah. care, breaking all the colour rules. Yeah. Oh, good but I him. find Great Dixter, you know, his garden just so exuberant and exciting, whereas, uh, you, you know, you go somewhere like, Hidkit, and to me, I find it much. More, it doesn't set my heart on fire as no. much because it is so tasteful. But at the same time, it doesn't kind of challenge you. Yeah. At mm. all. Well, we've also got in the summer we've got that glaring hot sun. Yes. And so it's it's actually probably more difficult to do the hot colours mm. well than in England mm. and in Europe with the softer light. So, mm. um, you know, I think have a go. If it doesn't work this year, That's rip, right. rip out the bits you don't want and try again. Nothing set in stone, is it, with guns? No. no. <laughs> never yeah, is. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so no, great success this year with, and it, I'm just having fun. Good, and you know that's I've, what it's all about. Yeah, that's mm. it. And I've got a digger at home, the other half. Mm. <laughs> Our neighbours say, James, where's your spade? Because <laughs> he's just dug so many holes, and you know, because that's a bit hard for me now doing all the digging, but I'll do the planting. So yeah, we can put in thirty, forty plants in. 
in a day, and we've been doing that. Yeah. But it has stopped now that it's summer. It's too, the, the soil is yeah, too yeah. hard. Mm. So, yeah, but he'll be back on deck uh, a few weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> James, if you're listening. Yeah, if you're listening, James, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I think he's really enjoying it too and, you know, just going out and sort of surveying what you've done, you know, the, yeah. from, a, from a bare... I think we had one elm tree, a golden elm, that we kept and a few gums. That was it. Mm. So, we, you know, we've... Um, Gone berserk. Mm. Two hundred and fifty plus trees later. Mm. <laughs> but you you were getting a lot of wind on the site, weren't you? Yeah. So you needed trees and things yeah. to break that that wind. Yeah, and breaking them, <laughs> <laughs> and kangaroos breaking them, and, and yes. things like that. But mm. no, a little. What survives survives. It's it's got to be a hardy garden because we've you know only got limited water too. So. Mm. We've found now it's the third year of some of the tree planting and they're doing really well. Oh, good. The ones that are okay. And, uh, we've got, um, we lost a few trees in one of those tornado events recently. Oh, yes. But, you know, you go, oh, well, it's another planting opportunity, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, that's what, it. What surprised you? What's done better than you expected? Um, what has done well? Uh, well Portuguese laurels always do well. Um, Agastache. Some of the, the maples have done Mm. Reasonably well. Mm. Some of the the snow pears, mm-hmm. they're doing well. Mm. Um, one of my cactus beds is not doing well because we planted um, seven fecreas. Mm-hmm. You know those big mm. sort of look like suck, uh, like, like yuccas, but or, yeah. yeah, but lot softer. And um, this was in an area where I, um, it just gets hit by every you know every mm. bit of wind and. We didn't want to have to water it, so I thought, right, cactus and succulents. And that's where I've got a lot of sedums. And I put in a hedge for a bit of a windbreak with uh, one of the hollies, a sterile holly called Mm -hmm. Blue Prince. Mm, Beautiful. And that's drought tolerant once it's established and won't set seed, so Mm. it's not a problem, no berries. Mm. Yeah, and that's doing really well. So Mm. we've got a background of the dark, dark green, and then we put these things in and some... um, you know, those pointy pencil pines, which look good in the Mediterranean, sort mm. of long-distance look. And, uh, yeah, things like that. And I found some cactus that will take the, the frost, and they have beautiful big white flowers. Mm. So, you know, it's a picture, and it keeps changing. Mm. Now the sedums are doing their thing. But anyway, getting back to the fecreas, I think I mentioned last time, Pam, they got hit by the frost after yes. three years of doing really well get, and I thought oh we're going to make stems soon so exciting you know but um they got hit by the frost and then in the summer or spring out came in the center these massive flowering spikes you could watch them grow a foot a day mm. and mm. they've all flowered and of course that means they'll die but they've That's set right. one million seeds yeah. so if you want some crayons <laughs> come and see me there's little um pups little now pups. all yep. over them and seeds, some of them have got seed pods, and then some put little pups around the base. So that's three ways of propagating themselves. Absolutely. Mm. They don't want to die, those No, seeds. they don't. <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Okay. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through till 9.15, our usual time slot. We'd love to hear from you this morning. We have Simon Rickard and Margot McDonald in the studio. Um, if you'd like to ring in and ask a gardening question or make a comment, uh, number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Or we have Robin on the outside line this morning. If you'd like to have a chat to Robin, the number is 
double seven. Okay, next plant, Margo. Next plant. Uh, well, we were talking about the cactus bed, so I may as well show you some of the sediments that I've brought in. Um, this one is, uh, these were left over from the nursery. They were, you know, old and almost <laughs> nearly dead, and I thought, oh, we'll plonk them in there, and they're fantastic. It's it's an unusual colour. It's a, a sort of a dusty pale pink, and it's called Matrona. And uh, I didn't know how big it would grow. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's that, a bit of a size. It's massive, yes. So, um, and that's been really good. No water at all. And they just flower their little heads off. Mm. And that is planted in sort of in front of the holly hedge. So that sort of pale, dusty pink against, against the, dark the dark green, green. Yeah. sensational. Yeah. No complaints there. And the colour in the stems is mm. yeah. beautiful. It's fantastic. A maroney sort of pink. Yes. And great big fleshy leaves with maroon sort of mm, veins lines on in them. them. Yeah, yeah, veins. Yeah, beautiful. Meaty looking things. I don't mm. know how they sort of get the water from to, to make the, that amount of growth. But, um, yeah, they're amazing plants for sedum. And the stems don't break in the wind? Uh, they do they're on the other enough. one. I think, I think that one is okay because it's young. This second one I've got is one called Orange Xenox because I really did want a hot garden. I wanted because I thought it'd be orange, but it's turned out... It's not orange. <laughs> not really. I think when the flowers get a bit older, they turn a rusty orange. Okay. So maybe that's where they got which the name would, which from. Which would be gorgeous mm. with your other autumn colouring. Yeah, exactly. But this other one is even bigger. I've cut this stem about a third of the way. Goodness. So, yeah, and that has flopped. Okay. Um, and I just heard someone say the other day, when you're growing your big sediments, when they're about, I don't know, a foot or something big, top them, you know, cut, tip prune them. Yep. And then they make, you know, double Side the, growth. And, yeah, yeah, and you get twice as many flowers anyway. But these have all flopped outside, so you can see this sort of rosette of stems in the middle. Right. And then these are sort of lying down and around. But you know, I'll do. I'll try that next year. But in our climate, Simon, mm. you know, when is the right time to do that? Because you don't, before, you don't want to do them before the frost finish, do you? Um, no. Well, before Christmas, actually. So um, that's what British gardeners call the Chelsea chop. Oh, so they know. they have this mnemonic around Chelsea Flower Show time in May. Um, you cut back your perennials as there summer perennials that are emerging. Cut them back by about oh, half. Man. Uh, or a third, to make them exactly, as you said, branch out, and so they become self-supporting. So British gardeners do the Chelsea chop in May, and for us, it's um, before Christmas. So as the days are still getting longer, if you yeah. do it as the days are getting shorter after Christmas, then too the late. plant doesn't... Yeah, too late. plant won't respond so in the same d- way. So you're saying all perennials? Not all perennials, but... Um, um, so something like the Galadia you've got that flowers right from the base won't benefit from it. No. But um, something like the Agastache or a Dahlia or a sedum that, that, that branches further up the plant, yeah. they all benefit and, from and it. And prone Salvias. to wind and... Yep. Right, okay, well, there you are. We, we learn something every week on yeah. this show. Yeah, absolutely. That's, <laughs> that's terrific. That's all right, the Chelsea chop. The Chelsea chop, on, and so that would be November here, yes, correspondingly. Yes, that's right. After yeah. the frost. As long as you do it before Christmas. So... After cup day, it's the same well, thing when, as when your perennials tomatoes. are sort of a foot tall or something yeah. like that. And it's re- it takes a lot of willpower to get out there with head shears and cut them back by a half when they're mm. only a foot tall. But it, it pays off later in the season. And when I was the head gardener at Diggers, we, you know, I had the big herbaceous borders, two of them there at Heronswood at that time, uh, and at St Earth, and we used to do that quite a lot. And we'd also do that to manipulate the flowering time of the perennials so that they'd coincide with the big festivals ah. so that they wouldn't flower too early. Oh, the little secrets, mm. Pam. Oh, yes. If we only 
knew. Yeah. We'll do now, but we'll we remember. It's like Flemington and its roses. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It. And, and, and St Andrew's Golf Course in Scotland, they always have the beautiful rhododendrons. Yes. They have hot water, water pipes underneath the rhododendron beds. And if they're coming really? on too fast, they run cold water through it to slow them down. Really? And if they're too slow, Heavens. they run warm water to speed them up so that they're in flower. Perfect for the golf. I hope, I hope people appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I really do. The links Not that just wander go past to. and, oh, yes, you know. That's right. Goodness me. Well, funnily enough, Pam, we had a speaker at our local garden club who, an old fellow, and his grandfather came out um, very early in the piece, I think pre-Gold Rush days, and they came out with a boatload of, um, well, a, a lot of fruit trees, um, bare-rooted, ready to plant here, and they brought a lot of those old varieties from England over to here. Mm. But um, he was telling us the story of um, his great-great-grandfather, who loved all those rhododendrons and cold climates, but they actually bought land in Turidan to do their orchard growing. Mm-hmm. Right. And he said, right, I'm going to beat this. I'm going, you know, nothing was too much of a challenge. So what he did with his rhododendrons in Turidan, which, as you know, is warm, it's uh, salty and marshy from, yes. I think, but anyway, not ideal conditions for roadies. Mm. And he used to put um, great big blocks of ice over the roots mm. and then hessian sacks over those at the appropriate time to cool them down. Mm. So, you know, the, where there's a will, there's a way. That's right. <laughs> Extraordinary. And he, he, he won prizes with these rhododendrons mm. to everyone's amazement. Good heavens. I have a friend who grew up in Brisbane and he, he, wanted to, he collected all the little, um, you know, the little alpine bulbs, crocus and snowdrops and all those things that grow well in the cold. But he lived in Brisbane. And oh. so, of course, in uh, winter, he used to dig them up and put them in his dad's beer fridge in the shed <laughs> in, in the garage. <laughs> and his dad, oh, in summer, rather, when they were dormant. And his dad would always say, what the bloody hell's going on in here? You know, why is my beer fridge full of bulbs? <laughs> yeah, it had to but be these are the lengths we go to. Yeah. <laughs> God. But, of course, I've known people go to the same lengths with... Um, Herbaceous peonies, putting yeah. ice, you know. On top of the crown. On, yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. Just desperate to, to get them flowering. <laughs> you grow some sedums too, don't you? I do, Autumn yes. Joy, I think. Yes, I grow Autumn Joy, Purple Emperor. I used to grow this one, Matrona, but it used to flop too much for me. Too and much. In the end, I, um, and that's just got to do with my soil and the way I water and stuff. And but so did you do the Chelsea Chop? I didn't know. No. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's where I'm going wrong. That is. Try again. Take yeah. this home with you, son. <laughs> but yeah, Autumn Joy, I think, is really wonderful. It's just it is. It's so superb. And, yeah. and, and Purple Emperor with a really dark black purple foliage. Yes. It's, um, I think the, the nice thing about sedums is they look good at every stage of their growth, you know. Even uh, as you said, Margot, the flowers after they've dried out go that beautiful chestnutty, rusty brown colour and yep. um, the plant stays upright over winter. I think that's winter. half their attraction. Mm. I love it when they get into that autumn tone. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it is. that People grow them for that as well as the flowers. But we found um, even chopping them back in the nursery in pots, mm. like you'd be going into the frost season, so expecting the worst of the frost, and they would still grow. They'd mm. put all this mm. new growth. Yep. The minute you as soon chop as you them, chop them back, yeah, that's right. So they're, fr- they're frost hardy Lovely. as well, so they're just a total win-win yeah. from mm. where we are. 
yeah. and the and bees love them, and native bees love them too. So mine are in flower at the moment, my sedums, and yeah. covered with four species of native bee. A little red wow. one, a little black one, a little one with a big blocky head, and then the blue bees as yeah, well. Yeah, we've got the blue ones. So, I haven't seen the others yet. I must yeah, look more closely. Look. Absolutely alive yeah. with bees. You can hear it. So from it's a really mile interesting. Off. You hear people say all the time, "Oh, if you want to attract native wildlife to your garden, you have to plant native plants." Well, these bees didn't get the memo about that. Well, no. exactly. they love the sedums yeah. from central China. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. and and I find blue banded bees on all my salvias. They yep. just yeah. love the salvias. Yep, yeah. they yeah. do. Yeah, all those things. And the eastern spinebills and the agastaches and yes. Yep. So yep. I think all plants bring animals to the garden, regardless of their provenance. Because you know, animals don't look at a plant and check its passport. They just <laughs> they just look and see a food source. They oh, that yum! Yeah. That looks that's got nectar. That's got yeah, pollen. That's, that's got somewhere true. to make a nest. That's got somewhere to hide from the hawks. Yes. So yeah. Oh, I don't recognise that. That's that's clearly not from here. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, um, you know, brings us back to having plant diversity in exactly, your garden. Yeah. Mm. It's the best thing you can do. Isn't oh, it, it yeah. really is. Mix yes. and match. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Something goes well with something else, and you like it. Mm. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Give it a go. Mm. Wait. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five, or to speak to Robin on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now, Simon, you're, as usual, heading off, taking tours with Botanica. I am, yes, I am, yeah. In uh, April, I'm, well, at the very end of March, actually, I'm going to Japan for a month. And um, I'm doing two tours back-to-back, leading two tours back-to-back. One is looking at the cherry blossoms. So the first fortnight, all the cherry blossom trees are in flower. You hope. Um, We hope, (laughs) yes, that's right. It's freezing cold at that time of year too. Um, but you know, when the, when you hit the cherry blossoms, they're just magnificent. And we do see them somewhere we go on the trip because we, we visit a range of latitudes because yes. of course we're on a cruise ship. So we can go right down to the south of Japan. We can do the east coast of Honshu and the west coast of Honshu. We go across to Korea for a day. So we, and we also do a range of altitudes. We go up to the mountains and down by the sea. So we definitely see the, the cherry blossoms peaking somewhere during the trip. Mm. And then um, a fortnight after that, uh, the, everything just warms up and all the maple trees put out their lovely fresh green leaves, the wisteria flowers, the azaleas start yeah. to flower. So the, the two tours have got very different flavours, even though they're very close okay. together. Yeah. Okay. So depending on what people are interested in seeing, you know, you could either come on the early tour and see that that massive cherry blossom, um, but no green at all, and then a couple of weeks later, all green and wisteria, mm. and, and yeah. Mm. So it's very, yeah, really, really interesting, really good fun, and um, we do that on a, a, a what's called an expedition ship. So it's a small cruise ship that has a hundred people on it, and every day we split a hundred guests into groups of three, uh, sorry, three groups. So they have their own tour bus with their own botanical guide, their own tour le- local Japanese tour leader. So it feels like a small tour when you're on the land every day, right? And then every night you get back into your floating hotel, oh. and um, you know, go and sit in the restaurant and catch up with your friends from. The other two groups and have, right. have a lovely meal. Yep. Yeah, it's really good. It's a lovely way to travel, actually. Only unpack once on on a on a cruise ship. Well, that's, that's, that's the best bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And I've got some really good um, other botanical guides accompanying me this year. Um, so Judy Horton, who uh, oh, has, yes, uh, yep. of Yates. And people X Yates. From X Yates. She's finally retired, oh. and she's finally received an OAM. Oh, that's oh, very cool. true. Yes, just recently in the Australia Day. Um, very, very true and very well deserved. Absolutely. 
What a, what a trooper. So Judy was at Yates for how many decades? Would you oh, say, a long time, wasn't she? Oh, yes. Yeah, I have no and idea. she still does the radio up there in Sydney, yes. doesn't she? Garden Radio in Sydney. Yes. So, I think she's still, she used to be quite involved with, um, with community gardens mm, okay. around Sydney suburbs too. Yep. Um, I don't know if she's still actively involved there, but yes. Oh, I'd hedge my bets and say she is. She probably yeah, can't no, help herself. No, no, <laughs> a very busy person. She is, yeah. she is. She's so nice and so knowledgeable. Yeah. So I'm really glad to be having Judy on this tour, Judy Horton. Um, and Megan Backhouse, who oh, many really? people will know as a journalist from The Age. That's uh, right. From Fairfax, I should yes. say. She's been the garden journalist for many years. And yes. She's um, coming in and doing some botanical guiding too. So I'm really oh, well, you're in very good company. I should yeah. say so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are the tours booked out, Simon? I believe the Cherry Blossom Tour is uh, fully booked, mm-hmm. but I think the Spring Blossom Tour, which is the, the second one, has, still has a few births okay. available. But people could ring Botanica and find out about that. Mm. Oh, brilliant. And then in November, I'm off to New Zealand for Botanica. So... Uh, and New Zealand uh, is, is a is, oh. must have the most benign climate in the world, I think. They can grow anything, you know. It's not uncommon to see citrus trees and trilliums side by side, you know, subtropical plants and alpine plants. They can grow anything in New Zealand. And the gardens there are as good as anything you'll see in the United Kingdom. So if you, if you want to look at these English-style gardens but you can't be bothered flying 24 hours, mm-hmm. go to New Zealand. Mm. It's closer than Perth and it's just magnificent. Yeah, and not too expensive either. No, so that's right. Are you going north or south island both we're doing north and south island Gosh, how long is the trip um i'll be there for a month as well so i'll be doing two trips that that back onto one another and um yeah and you know the north and south islands have very different flavors because new zealand's a very long country from north to south so um you know, if you can imagine looking at subtropical gardens like in Sydney and Brisbane, up there in Auckland, and then your real cold climate gardens that you'd see mm. in southern Tasmania, mm. down in the South Island, mm. down in, you know, beautiful towns like um, Omaru and Dunedin. Um, oh, yeah. it's all beautiful. But we went there last year and I have never seen so many hills. And yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just spectacular. You cannot believe the views. No, you can't. That's and the right. coastline and, oh, gosh, you the can't green. move for spectacular views, No, can you? It, you, it's overwhelming. It was mm. so beautiful. And that was, we only went to the North Island. So next trip down south, I think. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Beautiful. You'll they used to that. call it a, the land of the long white cloud, but... Um, I was over there, but only only looking at the South Island, mm-hmm. and I reckon it was the land of the the long, high green hedge because <laughs> the hedges over there. Oh. We were fascinated watching them actually clipping the hedges. They've got this amazing machine mm. which they turn on its side and it literally right. vertically cuts the hedges. Yeah, and that's right. All the windbreaks everywhere. Yes. Unfortunately, I think those those machines might be spreading uh, Phytophthora or something oh, because really? all of those hedge, hedges in New Zealand just dying off in huge brown chunks at oh, the moment. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But you're right, Aotearoa. So Land of the Long White Cloud, that's its Māori name, Aotearoa. So, yeah, really interesting place. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. And again, do you know if there's any places left for, for that tour? Yes, there are. There yeah. are. So people should ring Botanica, Botanica. if they'd like to come and absolutely. discover the land of the long white, white cloud with me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to get to some callers. First up, we have Michael, who's in Forest Hill. Good morning, Michael. Oh, yes, good day. Hi. Um, I'm a, a regular admirer of your, of your program there. Oh, thank you. Just, uh, I do property maintenance. I do, um, you know, uh, blocks and flats and all that sort of thing. And often you get these long um, gar- uh, gardens that go down the down the 
down the driveway. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just after some ideas or, you know, like, um, often these people, uh, you know, they need, um, some really good planting and all that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, I did ask Stephen Ryan about this, uh, probably about a year ago sort of thing. Um, um, he said just build up some trellis, trellis along the back sort of thing. But I'm just after any, any ideas sort of thing, you know, to, uh, yeah. Margot, you actually, in your old house in Melbourne, you had to find a lot of um, plants to suit narrow garden yeah, beds, didn't you? We yeah. did, yes. Um, what did we put in? Fastigiate trees where we right. had room. Some, yep. um uh, crab apple malus, uh, ma- sorry, malus trilobata was Malus. a really beautiful one. Malus right. trilobata. Got it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else did we do? Oh, we, we, um, clipped things flat against yes. the fence a lot. Right. Um, and just, yeah, just looking for things that didn't grow too wide. And yeah. Yeah. And then we got little berberus, little favourite we did edging with and. Right. Oh, I can't think now. That's going back years. It's one of the trickiest situations, isn't it? It Because as plants get taller, they get wider as well, Michael. So it's quite hard to find plants that are sort of two-dimensional, which is what you need in those narrow spots. Yeah. Um, One one thing I really like is the uh, the, um, Parthenocissus, the Boston Ivy or Virgin's Mm -hmm. Bower, and um, what what are the other common names? Boston Ivy? Virginia Creeper. Virginia Creeper. So they're they're, they're creepers, but they're two-dimensional. They don't don't bulk out. Right. So most creepers, I mean, if you think of something like a wisteria, it's designed in nature to head to the top of a tree, and when it gets up to the sun, it spreads out in every direction. Yeah, and so true. that's what they want to do. But these these Virginia creepers and Boston ivies, they're adapted to clinging to rocks in the sides of gorges. So right. they'll hang onto the side of the house or the side of the fence, and yes, they'll stick to the paint, and yes, they'll pull the paint off eventually. <laughs> but also, they will give you a really nice green, lush wall in summer. Yeah. And um, it, it's depending on the climate, you might better get a bit of autcumn color as well. Yeah. Oh, heaps yeah. of autumn color. They go bright red, don't mm. they? Beautiful. But yeah, yes, if, good. if you yep. put your climber on the the fence wall and not on the house or the building, <laughs> then it's not. <laughs> no one's going to get back to you about the yeah, paint. And yeah, the yeah, yeah. Work no, it's, it's often just a pencil, something like that. That you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we use a lot of liriopes too. Some beautiful right. liriopes, and that takes sun or shade. Yep. So they're really useful. Yep. Just trying to think. Oh, and in the really shady ones, we used um, names escaping me now. Um, little green thing with very fine little white flowers or yellow flowers. Right. Sulfurium. Yeah. No, anyway, not, not coming. Yeah. Not coming later. <laughs> uh, but we, instead of using trellis, which doesn't last very long, yeah, we used um, old metal uh, frames from right. Spare Parts World, oh, yes. trucks and utes, which we yes. got from Ballarat. Yes. And they looked really good because they often yep. had a pattern from the same thing being cut out of them. Yep. And they were just scrap. They, you know, you can get them for $40 or something. That sounds good, yes. Yep. Yeah, and you'll get sort of six feet out of those. Yep. Put up vertically or you can go horizontally and get a yep. bit longer. something more robust. Yeah. Yep. Or just use Rio, which oh, is yes, not expensive yeah. either and that will last forever. And you've got rust yeah. already. And, and that, yeah. you know, even if you um, don't have it covered up, it still looks quite decorative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, once you've got something growing on it, sort of, you know, it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, look, I've taken notes. I, I, I actually do take notes. I'm, I, I'm listening to your program. You can listen to this on a podcast too, if you miss. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, no, it's a great thing for Sunday morning sort of thing. It's fantastic. Excellent. Okay. Well, hopefully that's helped you a bit, Michael.
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a constant, constant sort of issue that we we sort of have to face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. Um, but any any further ideas would be really good. Yeah, and of course, of course, the other thing too is that um, I'm a great believer in in if you want to cover a, a fence, but you don't want something as vigorous as a climber. Yeah. Um, don't underestimate hanging baskets. Oh yes. Because, yeah, gotcha. yep. because you can have them flat and, and, and you know, you can have yep. them trailing or whatever. And, and if you build up enough of them, you can really create a, yep. a very colourful wall to walk yep. along. Yep, yep. for uh, sure, for pa- sure. Packy Sandra was one of the ground covers for the uh, bike. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, that'll take uh, shade and just drought, drought, drought. Mm. Really right. good under trees, you know. Right, yes. And uh, epimediums. Epimediums. That's the one I was All trying right. to think of. Um, okay. Which are good in shade. They don't right. really like the sun, but... Yeah. Right, okay. Yep, that's often the case. Yep. Uh, all right, okay. Got that down. Great. Okay. Uh, fantastic. All right, I'll get out of your way. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Good okay. on Thank you. Thanks. Bye. All right, next up we have uh, Hugh from the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Victoria and Pamela, good morning, and I love a lovely day for you. Good. And when I hear Margot's voice, I vaguely remember her from a tap dancing class. Oh, that's ago. right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yes. Hugh. <laughs> yes. Um, for me, that's finished because I built a 10-meter high shed and I fell down and that broke my ankles and that's the end of my tap dancing. Oh, oh very sad yes. to hear that. And before I put my two questions to the panel, <clears throat> I want to talk to my Victorian friends. Um, all who struggle with garden houses, they pop off, you know, when you sort of um, uh, have a wand on it and the pressure is a little bit too high. And again and again and again, these blooming houses come off the fittings. And I found a solution, and this is very, very simple, and I tried to do it in 10 seconds. Now, uh, if you take, for example, uh, the tape, uh, the ducting tape, it's about two inches wide or the two, five, five centimeter or 50 millimeters. And you find it here, there and everywhere in hardware shops and all this goodness knows where. Uh, some of them is gray, some of it is white. All of them work. I think the white works a little bit better. Now you tear a square off. So now if the tape is 50 millimeters wide, five centimeters, you tear five centimeters off. You don't need a scissor, nothing. But a down tear off less, don't tear off more. Just tear off two, two, two inches, okay? And then you take the garden house, the end of it, and put it around, and you will find the two inches will just go around the normal garden, garden house. Then put your type fit, your garden fitting on it. And screw it together, and I have had houses burst, but none, none of them uh, let me down and came off the garden fitting. So anybody who has, like me, had problems for years and years and years with the popping off of houses of the garden fitting, two inches of ducting tape, put it on, and then the garden fitting... And if you if you put too much on it, the garden fitting will not go over it, and it's it's not really beneficial. If you not if you make less than two inches, well, it works, but not quite. So that is my contribution to all the three CR listeners. So it gives something for the thread to bite into when you put the fitting on. Please ask me again. 
Um, so the tape is actually providing um, uh, a bit more... Um, a tighter fitting. Some yes, yes, a, a fitting. tighter fitting and, 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 and a grip, exactly, mm, a grip yeah. for the thread. Right, and it will not come off. I tell you what, I have had down how this burst, the older ones, but it will not come off. Okay, well, thank you oh, for thank that. You. Yeah, that's yep. great. What were your yes, questions, um, Hugh? You had a couple of questions for us, I think. Yeah, and uh, now my question is... Uh, now the the head gardener of um, of um, Josephine, you know, the husband of Napoleon. Bonaparte, yep. Yeah. Um, she received plans from um, from uh, from South Africa. From now she got them via England, uh, whilst Napoleon was having um, bang bangs and fights with the British. She had trade ships with Roses and Brunswickers and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And her head gardener, who came from Brunswick, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he made it happen that the Brunswickers um, flowered. Now, I have Brunswickers about um, 10, 15, 20 years. Some of them, oh my God, the size of a small ca- ca- uh, small cabbage, and, 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 and they don't flower. And somebody says they will not flower in a pot. But others say, well, of course, they will flower ah, in the pot. Okay, yep. So Brunswickia Josephine, which is named after Josephine, uh, just as you say. And yeah, the, the bulbs are huge, aren't they? The size of a cabbage or a small soccer ball. I grow them too, um, Hugh. And they will flower in a pot, but they need a very large pot, um, a 50 centimetre pot at a minimum. Um, really big pot, and the main thing is that they need to have their seasonal pattern of wet and dry observed. So as you're probably aware, they're originally from the Western Cape of South Africa, which has a Mediterranean climate, dry in the summer, wet in the winter, just like here. So uh, that's what they need to flower well. They need this dry Uh period. Wet in the winter, I write that down because... I've been negligent with that. Ah, okay. Yes, they need to be watered regularly in winter. Yes, I, 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 they, they come from the valley of the Thousand Hills, which is just sort of uh, on the on the east coast um, of um, of uh, when, if you come from from Cape Town, if you go up towards uh, uh, the they they in huge uh, areas and acre, it's, it's quite mm. a size mm. acre There are several species of the, the Brunswickias and some of them are native to the Eastern Cape which has a summer rainfall climate like Sydney and Melbourne um, but the Josephine is from the Western Cape which has the winter rainfall climate so the trick to growing them well is make sure they're well watered in winter um, dry in summer you can also give them some wood ash out of your fire because where they live they have uh, lots of bushfires like we do here in southern Australia oh, and yes. they flower particularly well after a bushfire so if you want to give them some wood ash from your fire then uh, this can also stimulate flowering does that answer your question about the Brunswickia? Great, thanks very much but I'm not letting you go, go <laughs> away yet because I have another problem sure. I had about a year ago I had an industrial, another accident also during gardening and I was in hospital for a while and then in a carer's home et etc and when I came back um, I found my roses that had been delivered and they were still after two months in these plastic bags you know yeah and I potted them all out, and you wouldn't believe it. They had started to shoot from that 
tiny, tiny little bit of moisture inside this black plastic. Mm. Mm. I believe it. Yeah, and they, and they and they showed, and I got them growing, and they, then I thought, ah, oh, the poor darlings, they need a feed, and I did feed them, and I think I killed them all. Oh no, that's no good. Yeah, well, um, and I thought, and the other problem I have is with the weepers, the flowering apricots, and and so on and so forth, the flowering cherries, the flowering. Oh, there, there's so many flowering uh, ornamental standard trees, seven foot high, mm-hmm. eight foot high, and so on. Now, they uh, were neglected, they were not watered, and, and, and all the rest of it. And the, some of them, they died, and now the shoot, uh, shoot comes out from the... From the, from the, uh, the rootstock? From the rootstock, right. But uh, with the fl- uh, flowering apricots, I think they have a double graft. They have one at, at ground level and one at seven foot high. Now, what I'm t- my question is, I let the the rootstock sucker uh, come up as high as I probably can. Some of them are already on six, seven foot, and then I think I put another graft on top of that that would be okay yep, wouldn't it yes yep that's fine that's how they do yeah, it in right. the field. Now, at what time of the year would i do that you can either graft in winter or you can bud in summer so uh, you've missed the season for doing summer budding now so i would say do a whip and tongue graft in um in late winter Whip and tongue. Mm. I'm not very good at whip and tongue i'm better off in channel graft practice makes perfect because and now grandfather um he netted a lot you know um the old people um they always sang and 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 uh, when i was uh, when i was a nipper that was in the 1930s in the very very early 1930s mm-hmm. uh people were singing when they were working and they were netting when they were working mm. and, and today they are stand there and, and and say nothing like ornaments and 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 uh, they they don't want to communicate and and, and, and but I remember um, grandfather always saying, "Oh, you poor darling, I got one saddle graft on. Now just wait a little bit, have a look at this one, and I put the second one on, and uh, he he topped, he cut off after seven foot flat, and then he put one graft." On either side of the split, you know what I mean? Ah, yes, that's called rind grafting. You could try rind grafting as well if you wanted to here. Yeah, okay. just, just practice with it, I'd say, and um, I'm sure you'll be, you know, you might be surprised how easy it is. Okay, well, I try. Uh, the other thing is the weeping cherries, for example. Are they, they're a problem, child. Um, they, um, lots of these tweaks after. The weeping cherries, they have only a graft at six, seven foot high. And uh, they uh, uh, they have a lot of this, um, you know, this, like a moss, it has a name. Lichen. Lichen. Mm-hmm. Now, they have a lot of lichen on and the brand, and these little twiggy grows are dead. And other lichen twiggies, uh, they have new shoots coming out. So um, others on one side, they have new shoots coming out, and they're about one and a half, two feet, 50 centimeters, uh, 40 centimeters or so, right? Now, shall I um, cut down the, the, the 
the new growth and give more juice to the smaller ones on the other side or shall I just let nature keep going and going and going and hope that the right side produces enough um, what I would do, um, Hugh, is let them grow for another year and then next year cut back the weak ones, not the strong ones, because when you cut back the weak ones, it stimulates vigorous growth the following summer. So it's counter, counterintuitive. You, you want to cut back the long ones to make them shorter, but actually you need to cut back the short ones and then the following summer they'll grow away very strongly. Yeah, I thought that makes yeah. sense. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for your questions, Hugh. That's been... Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, and uh, Victoria, um, you know, um, I just, if any of those who have struggled for many, many years, please try my garden patent, you know. We certainly will. Thank yes. you very and much, it, Hugh. It's fantastic. But remember, just the square. Okay. The, okay. Thanks, Hugh. Bye-bye. And, 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 and happy tapping, Margot. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. I'm tapping with an 80-year-old now, so no excuses. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Bye. Bye, Hugh. Bye-bye. Right, uh, that number, if you'd like to join us this morning, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we have Simon Rickard and Margot McDonald, so we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155, or to speak to Robin on the outside line, 94198377. Margot, you've got an announcement there. I have. I almost forgot. I don't know how, but... Uh because there's so much competition next weekend, uh, we've also got our autumn flowering show in the Canton Horticultural Society. All right. And that's going to be on Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, it's going to be 1 to 5, and on the Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. And that's at the Canton Showgrounds. And like um, probably like Fernie Creek's show, we're going to have lots of people competing with dahlias and cut flowers and children's sections and all those floral art, all that sort of old-fashioned, gorgeous stuff that, yes. you know, people should appreciate. We want lots of visitors. And we're going to have a big plant sale as well. I've been working away, beavering away, and getting those ready. And uh, we're just trying to grow the club up again. Um, that's what I've been doing Partly as well, you know, community <laughs> stuff. Yeah, getting involved. Our local gardening club is 123 years old. Wow! And um, about last June, there were like nine or ten members left, and they were all getting on in age. And there was no sort of vigor or ideas coming forth. And, you know, there were people, women sitting there doing their knitting and meetings and that sort of thing. Anyway, with the new voting and we've got a new committee um, on it with um, a fellow called Nicholas Scott, our president. And we're, you know, we're bringing the, the place back to life. We've got 40 members already in Great. a few months. So, well yeah, done. There's a buzz about the meetings and we have lots of interesting people. Hoping to get Simon, but of course, you know. <laughs> love to, of course. We'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But um, no, so we we need the support now, and um, we're aiming to. That's why I went to the Dales for Growing Friends, joining up with the friends of the Kyneton Botanic Gardens, and making a Growing Friends group in Kyneton. Excellent. So we're going to be, you know, applying for grants and all those sort of things to yes. get um, costs and allocated a bit of land. The old primary school is being vacated and they're trying to get that into community hands for groups. So that would be ideal. It's right in the centre of town mm. and we could have, um, 
you know, a growing area there. I was going to say, is there a community gardens? gardens? There yep. is a community gardens at the neighbourhood house. Right. But it's tiny. Yes. And there's one at the high school, mostly used by the high school kids. Yes, yes. But we want one right in the middle of town. Absolutely. And um, a lot of community, community groups would use that. Mm. And there's also interest, we've got a few um, groups uh, like, Booper and people like that who are looking for activities for people who are in wheelchairs or recovering from illnesses and so forth. Mm. So there's a lot of interest in doing that. So That's yeah. fantastic. Well anyway, done. So, yeah. So we're getting on with that. And um, we've had Andrew Laidlaw do um, a – well, he did the plan for the new community park, which is beside the Botanic Gardens. Okay. And then he was uh, contracted to do a – an overall improvement plan for the Kyneton Botanic Gardens. So the Friends Group are trying to raise money to help get that up and going mm. with um, support from <coughs> council, hopefully, the Shire. <laughs> but it's, a, you know, long-term projects. Oh, of course it is. And uh, But you know, you've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. So, mm. Yeah. Oh, well done. Mm. So th- that's what I've been doing in my spare time now <laughs> I've retired from work. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And busier yeah. than ever, obviously. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. No, it's all good. That's great. Terrific. Yeah. And of course, um, do you, do you have many um, different ethnic groups in Kyneton? No, no. Well, my daughter was asking that because she's thinking of moving up. Okay. Do you have, you know, Chinese people and Nigerians and, you know, Lebanese? And I think there are sprinkling, but not a lot. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's certainly some Indians. There and some Chinese coming mm. there, but um, they run some restaurants and things. Well, I was going to say, because um, it's so interesting working with, with different ethnicities, particularly in, in, in something like a community, community garden. garden, and then that also, of course, um, uh, morphs into cooking and different cultural so ideas with what they use there. Exactly, mm. but it's just such an opportunity, and, it's, mm. and for sharing... All this knowledge about different plants mm. that, that Australian people mightn't have thought of mm, growing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it opens up their palates as mm, well yeah. um, to see how they use their plants. So, um, yeah, there's, there's opportunities there. There are. And we've got a new, uh, lots of housing sort of in the pipeline areas being developed. So, and so hopefully some yeah. younger people yep. to get involved. More yes. affordable housing and so forth. Yes. But I know in Kilmore there's a lot of um, the groups moving up there because there's lots of housing going in. So yeah, we're expanding and slowly. Mm. So we'll see how that goes. I'll keep you informed. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's – I love community. Mm, I, love, yeah. I love efforts to build community because I mm. think particularly down here in Melbourne – We've lost sight of community mm. in so many ways, you know. People are all working too hard. They don't have time. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, living in a concrete jungle, we, mm. we just need to green everything up and get back to community. Mm. How are you finding Trentham? Great. It's a very, very welcoming place. Yeah, Brilliant. Really wonderful. And Kyneton is too, isn't it? I think yeah, it's a very welcoming it town. You know, these, I mean, we're lucky in the, the region that we live in, I think, um, Margot, because um, young people are moving into the town instead of just out yeah. of the town. You know, some towns, country towns you go to, young people are moving out in droves. And yes. It's yeah. a bit terrifying. But, but our area, lots of young people yeah, moving in. Yeah, there's lots so of families snapping up all the little old houses, yeah. doing it up and, yeah, okay. becoming place. involved. Yeah. Because yeah. we've got the train, they can still commute for a while before they've 
find local work or mm. you know that, that I was that. going to say that's 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 one of the main drawbacks I mean you you need to have local industry or something mm. to provide employment mm. um, it's great that that a lot of families um, are wanting that sort of country lifestyle while their children are young so mm. they'll and, and, and housing's affordable, mm. but you need to be able to then keep those um, mm. those young children mm. as they get older. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, and that's where you need local employment you in do. one form or yeah. another. And, and there's no doubt it's growing because the primary school have outgrown their area. They've got mm. a brand new one. The high school is, is sort of rediscovering itself and adding on wings and, you know, doing well, things. Well, that's a great sign. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's really growing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm. Okay, that number again, if you'd like to join us, 94190155. We're running through for another half an hour, so if you want to jump on the phones, we'd love to hear from you. Or if you'd like to have a chat with Robin, 94198377. Pam, um, that, I was just thinking about that uh, plant that Hugh was talking about, the yes. Brunsvigia. Well, yeah. Listeners might not it? know what no. it is, so I thought I'd just describe it. Yeah. This is a bulb that comes from South Africa. And um, it's related to nerines and, and to Amaryllis naked ladies. So okay. all those lovely autumn flowering bulbs that are starting now. But the Brunsvigia Josephine, um, the candelabra lily they call it in South Africa, has got red flowers instead of pink. Um, the flowers are about the size of a nerine flower, so they're not huge. But they're born on a flower, um, a, a big flower stalk that looks like a candelabra, so it's got a, a stem that's about two inches wide at the base and goes up about um, 15 inches or two foot tall, and then at the top, it's it's got it branches branches into a great big dome, uh, sorry sphere, uh, nearly a metre wow. wide, Good and, and at the end of uh, all of these these stems, there's a little red flower. Um, it looks absolutely spectacular, and it's pollinated by sunbirds in South Africa, which are like our honey eaters. So okay. the bluebirds come and pollinate the flowers. Right. And then when this huge, big spherical structure dries out, um, it breaks off the bulb and it goes rolling across the plain and drops <gasps> seeds as it wow. goes. So it acts like a tumbleweed. Right. Clever. Clever. But it, it truly is the most spectacular bulb in the world. It's it's just so spectacular, and we can grow them really well in this climate because you know we've all been whinging about our hot, dry summers. Yeah. But this plant will only dry in, uh, grow in areas with hot, dry summers. Mm. And people in the UK, if they want to grow it, they have to grow it in a huge pot and put it in a glass house and they have to cook it in summer ah. and water it in winter right. and keep it warm enough in winter. Mm. But here we put it in the ground and forget about it. So, Simon, why are you growing your one in a pot? I'm not. I'm growing mine in the ground. Oh, it's in the ground. But they, they do grow in pots just fine. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just thinking because if you were going to put, like, sprinklers on, then that would get wet in the summer in a yes, bed. Yes, yeah. So that you may no, want to No, I grow mine in, in the in the driveway and in the front garden, which I well, I don't water the driveway at yeah. all. That's got a, a lot of these bulbs that like dry summers there, yeah. and my front garden, which I you know water once or twice a year. So that's it. So um, yeah, and they're they're not cheap to buy because um, as oh, Hugh no. said, the bulbs are the size of a cabbage. So if you want to buy a fully grown bulb, it's about a hundred bucks. Mm. But you can grow, you, you can buy um, three year old seedlings, which are the size of a, a, a squash ball for usually about $15, $20. Okay. And they take another three or four years to flower. And, um, yeah, so I can highly recommend the... 
Well, next time you've got a few little balls rolling down your driveway, <laughs> just let us know. We'll be Roll round. them your way. <laughs> so, so who would stock them? Where are they readily available? Uh, no, just sort of rare bulb nurseries. So yes. people like um, like Jane and Shirley Tonkin up at Sylvan Vale um, yes. sell them. Um, who else sells them? Um, I, the late Marcus Harvey used to sell them down in Tasmania, and I know there's one more catalogue that's been he's the last catalogue to to just to get rid of his old stock is on the internet now. Um, so sort of rare, rare bulb nurseries will okay. sell this Okay, Alan Reed from yep, Albury. Alan and Sue would, Reed. Group. Yeah, yep. yeah, they okay. do rare bulbs. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the Druids, Tim Druitt, um, sells oh, it as well. So, yeah, yeah. So you'll need to go to one of those specialist bulb Fair nurseries enough. and be willing to pay a bit of money, but, boy, it's spectacular. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for those tips on how to grow them because... Yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I would automatically think, you know, watering in winter, you'd run the risk of, of rotting out a bulb, but mm. obviously in, yeah. in this case, Different they really beast. need that water. Well, the, the, you know, daffodils are the same. So all of these sp- spring and autumn bulbs are adapted to Mediterranean climate. Mm. So if you think about daffodils, we all think they, you know, host of golden daffodils. We think of Wordsworth in England. But most daffodils come from North Africa, Spain, Southern Europe, where they have a Mediterranean climate. Mm. They, they live around the Mediterranean Sea with a dry summer and a mild, damp winter. Mm. Um, tulips come from Central Asia, from Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, all of those places that have, a, again, a dry, hot summer and a mild, damp winter. So... Spring and autumn flowering bulbs, most of the autumn ones come from South Africa, Noreen's, Naked Ladies. Yep, too. And um, they've got the same climate as us too. So, you know, we, we tend to think of this dry summer climate as a terrible burden because we can't grow rhododendrons and stuff. But actually it's a huge boon because we can grow plants from all the Mediterranean climates mm. of the world. And actually 20% of all the world's flora comes from Mediterranean climates. Mm. So we can grow a quarter or nearly a fifth, in fact, of, of all the world's um, mm-hmm. Sorry, a fifth rather than a quarter. A fifth of all the world's flora we can grow here without any fuss and bother. So we really need to, when we're, when, when, when we're thinking of, of, of planning mm-hmm. what we want to plant, mm-hmm. think of their origins. Yeah, because that's, that's right. going to give you the clues as to exactly what conditions right. they need. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So just looking at the lovely plants Margot's got here, she's got the sedums, which come from uh, from Western China and Central Asia, dry summer climate. The agastache over there from California and New Mexico, dry summer climate. Um, the Galadia here is from the, the sort of plains areas of North America, which um, can be quite, you know, down into Texas, mm. dry in summer again. Mm. So as long as you stick with these plants from the dry summer areas, they, they tend to do really well for us. And that doesn't mean to say your garden has to look sticky and spiky and half no, dead. No, no, no. It can still look lush. You just need to get the right plants. Yep. Okay, we've got uh, quite a few calls <coughs> to get through, so we need to make a start. First up, we have um, Olga on Phillip Island. Good morning, Olga. Uh, good morning. Um, well, I've got a, a question about uh, soil. Um, I had a, a little plant that I put in and uh, it just didn't seem to do very well and it looked as if it was about to die so I, I dug it up and there were some white sort of uh, blobs in the soil. Um, you know, quite a lot of this white stuff scattered about. Mm. And I wondered what it was and what one could do about it. Uh, it seemed like a fungus maybe. Yeah, or it's probably, Olga, um, a mycorrhizal fungus. So this is a fungus that grows in association with soil roots. Um, and some of these fungus are good, uh, are very beneficial, and we want them in our garden, and, and other ones are... Uh, predatory, you know, they, they, they can kill plants. Um, and Well, 
mostly though they they don't actively kill the plant it's just that the plant was sick in the first place and that the fungus is just you, you know consuming a plant that's already dying sort of thing so it's a bit hard to know which one of those things it is in this situation yes hmm. it was a plant that i bought it was a what was it oh, i've forgotten its name now uh one of those dwarf uh, plants that usually grows big purple flowers mm-hmm. and uh, it was a healthy you know mm. little plant in a pot when i put it in mm-hmm. and it just got sort of you know worse and worse as time went by yeah yeah i look i'm not exactly sure what to recommend to you it could just be that the plant was sick or or went backwards anyway for another reason maybe it didn't like the soil ph or the hot summer and because you've dug it up you've seen the white fungus and we think oh well it must be the fungus but maybe maybe the fungus didn't hurt the plant at all it's hard to know in this situation yes with the bad funguses, what do you do with them if they are Unfortunately, aren't bad? there's nothing. And the, the worst one is uh, a thing called honey fungus, and that's not what you've described because you've got no. the little white blobs. Honey right. fungus has what look like black boot laces under the soil, and no. then it makes um, honey-coloured fungi in the right. autumn around tree stumps. And there's, n- you know, there's nothing you can do about that. No. So the botanical gardens will cut down all the trees, dig out all the soil, and leave it fallow for five or ten years before they replant. So obviously that's not going to be something that you can do. So I would no. just say um, maybe mix in some, some uh, compost or some organic yeah. matter into your soil. Try sure. again and see what happens. Right. It may not be a detrimental fungus. No. It may be just a coincidence. Okay, well, thanks very much, and thanks for all all that you do. You're a marvellous show. Oh, good. Thanks, yep. Olga. Thank you. Right, bye, bye for now. Right, uh, next up we have our good friend Gwen online. Good morning, Gwen. Good morning, Pam and everyone. Hello, Gwen. Hi. Um, Pam, you mentioned earlier about uh, Beckler's Botanical Bounty, which uh, there's talks on next Sunday afternoon down at Cranbourne. Yes. But I thought people... Everybody might be very interested to know that this is in association with an exhibition, a free exhibition at Ballarat um, Regional Gallery. Mm. Um, so it's called Beckler's Botanical Bounty. It's re- we went up yesterday. It was officially opened yesterday. There were lots of people there, and it's a great exhibition of botanical art, and um, it's also very scientific about inland Australia um, from the Menindi area because... Um, uh, if people weren't listening earlier, Beckler was part of the Burke and Wills um, exhibition and um, he was a doctor but also particularly interested in botany and the collecting of plants and he collected a huge number. Uh, and a group of botanical artists from mainly the Melbourne area but not just the Melbourne area have been going up um, since 2010, I think it was, for about the last eight or so years and illustrating... Um, all these plants that um, uh, were associated with... Beckler collected lots of specimens and sent them to the herbarium at Melbourne and also Sydney. Uh, But anyway, it's a free exhibition. Uh, The Art Gallery of Ballarat is within 150 metres or so, not much more, walking distance of Ballarat Station. So if anyone wants to take the train up, it opened uh, yesterday and goes right through till May the 27th. So you've got plenty of time to pop it in your diary. It's free entry and open 10 till 5 each day. Um, next Sunday down at Cranbourne, some of the artists are going to be there. 
uh, and there'll be several talks in the afternoon. You mentioned it earlier, it's $20 for non-members, $15 for members of the Friends of Cranbourne. There's also, Ballarat Gallery has produced a book of the exhibition. I've got it in front of me because we certainly got one. There were lots of them being sold yesterday. It's over 80 pages and every second page has got one of the botanical illustrations on it with text on the opposite page. Wow. It's called Beckler's. So if you can't get up there by May the 27th and want a copy of the book, I think it's probably only available at the gallery because it's published by them. Uh, but, you know, $25, but you could look on their website, which is artgalleryofballarat.com.au. Mm, Excellent. So, Fantastic. Yeah, I thought you know, anybody interested in botanical art mm. or inland Australia, mm. um, you know, or Australian history, you know, Absolutely. might like to know that that exhibition is on at Ballarat. Yes. Mm. Well, the talk, the talk next, uh, Next weekend sounds absolutely wonderful, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, well, I think, um, look, I'm not up on all the details, but I think the lady who coordinated all the trips up there, who's a botanical artist, I think she's going to be there. There are other people going to be there. And I th one of the artists is Liz, and I think you gave her phone number earlier. Yes. If people want further information, um, I think it's five double nine seven six one three zero. That's correct. That's it. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm right there. <laughs> well done. Well done, Gwen. I was looking at another slip of paper, but you know, for anyone who's contemplating a trip to Ballarat or through Ballarat, mm. uh, it's well worth a look. And as I said, um, it's free to just go in and have a. And I spend a nice, well, good half hour just in that particular room that the exhibition's in. Fantastic. Okay. All righty. Thank you for that. Leave you to it. Bye. Bye. Just remembered there's a, an Australian native orchid named after Beckler too, a Docrilia. Okay. Yeah, Docrilia Beckleri. It looks, it's, it used to be a dendrobium. It's got long leaves that look like rat tails that hang down and then... Sounds attractive. <laughs> I'm not selling it, am I? But no. <laughs> so it's nice that a plant got named after Beckler. So I'm I'm assuming that maybe it came from the from the that Nindy expedition I area. Wonder. Don't know. Yes. Mm. Anyway, interesting. Mm. Okay, let's go to our next caller, and uh, we have Jill from the Herb Society online. Good morning, Jill. Hi Pam. Hi Simon. Hi Margaret. Hello, Hello Jill. Um, I'm just telling what's on the program for Thursday, okay. 7:30 p.m. But be sharply there, not sort of a bit late. Um, we're having Peter Dwyer. Peter Dyer is going to speak about bees. So he's talking both about honeybees and native bees and the problems. And um, I've encouraged him to give us a great list of the plants that he thinks bees are good because the Herb Society has lots of ideas too. So we're going to amalgamate our ideas about bee plants. And he's going to bring honey as well. So for people who don't know, the Herb Society meets at Burnley Horticultural College, 500 Yarra Boulevard, Richmond, and of course there's the Swan Street tram to get there. And um, we have a herb supper, we have a raffle. It's $5 for visitors and it's uh, members bring supper so they don't pay. And um, we also have a short talk on a herb and uh, we have very warm members, about 40, 35 to 40 people. So should be a good evening. Excellent. 
great. And, oh, it's in room 10 in the main cream brick building mm-hmm. and one enters by the steel ramp. So that's very handy. It's so obvious. Yeah. Okay, yes. excellent. Well, all the best with that one, Jill. And I've completed the program for the year. And so now I put the monthly program on the Herb Society website. Right. And I've put um, under the Herb Society Australia on the website, I've put the whole program for the year. Excellent. So uh, we're having about the Yarra um, in April and in May we're having uh, butterflies and... Um, we're having one on wicking gardens and one on um, how gardens and plants um, help people's uh, physical and mental health. And so it should be a very interesting year. Excellent. That's great, Jill. Thank Thanks, you very Pat. much. Okay. Bye. bye. Margot, I think you've got a couple more plants we haven't got to yet. Oh, no, just one more that just I've got. Just one more? But okay. This would be good to talk about because of that. Caller before was asking about plants for sideways, oh, right. narrow spaces. Mm. Yes. And this is a little ajuga, but a one that I've never seen before called Burgundy Glow. And as you can see, but listeners can't, it's got multicolored foliage. Mm. Um, it's variegated. It's a sort of a grey green with maroon leaves as well on the newer leaves and pink tinging in there. So mm. I don't know. Can you explain that anymore? Well, it looks like the leaves come out purple with a pink variegation, and as they age, they become a sort of dull sage green with a cream variegation. Really pretty. Yeah, very interesting. Mm, little ground um, And that will just uh, spread like most dejugas, but then the leaves are smaller and neater, mm. so tighter clumps, I would imagine. Have little blue spikes of flowers in spring, mm-hmm. but um, you know they're nice. But really, it's the foliage. It's the foliage, after. Mm-hmm. yeah. And this will send out runners in every direction and just make new little clumps mm. along those runners. So, a good little spreading plant. Buy one, and you can do your whole sideway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the jugas um, are great in shady areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can suffer from fungal problems if it's too much shade. So they right. do like a little bit of. Oh well, they like. They'll cope with a lot of sun, actually, provided they have the moisture in the summer. So not for purely dry areas, but yep. once established, they're pretty hardy. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So that's another one, Ajuga mm. uh, Burgundy Glow. Great. I think Ajugas have been sort of forgotten about a bit. They have, really? Yeah. Yes. I mean, they were, you <coughs> used to see them everywhere in mm. the old gardens, and, mm. you know, I hardly ever hear about them anymore. No, well, there's a big one we saw a lot of it called um, Caitlin's Giant. And it wasn't that giant, yes, mm, but okay. it was bigger than the, the, the normal just the normal ajuga. ajuga. Yep. And that was beautiful. It had great big flowers, mm. but, yeah, rich purple foliage and mm. yeah, just used to romp along. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like when I say romp, people get scared because they think, mm. oh, it's going to overtake the garden. But under trees or roses or something, it's terrific. And There's a get, beautiful planting of that in my town. A, 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 next to a house is a narrow bed. The, the bed's only about 15 inches wide, and then it's footpath. And they've just filled it up with that ajuga cat. Right through. Catlin's Giant. Yeah, and that keeps it under control. It can't spread because it's got the footpath on one side and the house on the other, and it just looks fantastic, especially when it's in flower. Oh, yes. Yep, beautiful. But, you know, it's not hard. You just dig the clumps up in the winter and move them to where you want or give them away or throw them out, whatever you like. They're not rampant, are they? Not really, no. 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 But uh, good value. So, ajugas, yeah, underrated. 
and yeah. uh, becoming an old-fashioned plant. So get out there and make it fashionable, fashionable again. Yeah, there you go. Fantastic. <clears throat> Simon, are you are you doing anything um, specifically in your garden? Are you renovating an area or? Well, I mean, gardens. We're always doing yes, things. Yes, we are. That's but, right. But any big plans or not? Well, at the moment, I'm concentrating on the the Australian Landscape Conference is on next month. And, oh, of course. Um, part of uh, they they have delegates coming from all over the world. They have speakers um, from from Europe and America and everywhere coming to speak. Um, and as part of the Australian Landscape Conference, they run a garden tour as well. So I'm actually having 500 people coming oh. through my garden. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> This time in one next day? Month. Yeah, yeah, in one day. In, in fact, not, not even a whole day, uh, this time next month. So I'm kind of just thinking about that at the moment. Okay, oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And it's, it's a little bit, uh, as you'd know, Margot, when you open your garden, you, a lot of things you can only do the day before it actually opens. So, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm already getting nervous about it happening, but I can't do any, you know, I can't mow the lawn four I can weeks come around with a rake and a broom if you want. <laughs> yeah. I'll help. So, I'm, yeah, thanks. So I'm kind of thinking about that a lot at the moment, just, you know, getting the, the, the garden ready for that particular visit. Yes. And, um, yeah. Well, your garden looks, I mean, I've seen it in autumn time, mm-hmm. and I think that's, has to be one of its best times. Yeah, I love autumn. And yeah. uh, so I think you you know you've timed it well. Oh, that's good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> because you're going to have a lot of that wonderful, like the sedums. Yeah, all the late lot perennials. Of the, yes, mm. exactly. And um, and of course your produce garden. Mm. You should still have lots of produce oh, in yes. autumn time. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's an ideal time. That's peak season, really. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah, yes. Mm. Yes. Because so. you've got your apples and your pumpkins and you name it. Lots of lots of autumn produce. That's so. right. Yeah, all of that stuff. So hopefully it'll be up to scratch for my for my visitors on that particular day. But, mm. um, yeah. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about lately, I, I didn't bring any plants in with me today, but uh, indoor plants are just having such a resurgence at the moment, you know. And I think it's because younger people, you know, don't don't haven't got time to garden, they don't have the space to garden or they're renting. They don't have a garden, yeah, full that's stop, right. yes. And so indoor plants are huge at the yes. moment. And um, a lot of books are being written about it, a lot of new nurseries popping up and uh, selling indoor plants and mm. advising people and beautiful pots to put your indoor plants in as mm. well. Mm. So... Um, yeah, I've been visiting a lot of these these places that sell indoor plants and okay, yeah. and it spreads like wildfire. Mm. They can um, my son is in Brunswick, you mm. know, and he's got chooks and veggies and a house full of indoor plants, mm. and they he starts propagating and stuff now, and he and his friends just put an ad on Facebook, you know, social media, and it. There's queues waiting mm. to, mm, to yeah. buy what they've grown. Exactly. It's, and it's all over in an hour. Yep. And one day he got out and he had some stuff he was going to sell. And he didn't even get into the garage or hall wherever they were having this little plant sale. He just sold it out of the car. Well, it was a boot yeah, sale. Yeah, boot sale. That's great. <laughs> and they're all young people and they're yes, all on their phones. Right. And, you know. Yes. Yep. <laughs> You're, well, you're right. If you look on us. social media, look on Instagram, it's just a wash with people posing with their house plants. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and some of the rooms are, are more green than yeah. you can't see the walls with no. the green. Hashtag urban jungle. And I, I think <laughs> it's because, you know, the urge to, to garden, the yeah, urge to tend there. plants is strong. And even if yes. people don't have ground, they still yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, so it's, the plant at the moment is a thing called Pilia peperomioides, which is a beautiful. You've got yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it for years. I didn't know what it was. It's funny you should say this because 
And when we moved up there, I thought, it's no way is that going to last. I won't have time to look after it. So I got my daughter to look after this pot I had of it. Yes. And uh, she just let it. You know, almost die in the corner. What's this rubbish, Mum? And now they all want cuttings. Oh, I bet they do. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I was able to do that, and they sold them for a good deal. Vastly of money, overinflated prices. Yeah. Oh, it's, ridiculous. It's really interesting because now it's all supply and demand. Now that people want these plants, yeah. they're all of a sudden the price is just going yeah, through the roof. Yeah, and it's all on social they use, media. And it's things like mother-in-law's tongues you used to buy really? at the church fate an old Milo tin for yes, fifty cents. Exactly. You know, and now it's forty dollars. You've yeah. got to go to your. Oh goodness! It, it's so, a different yeah. world. Mm. So really? it's great. Yeah, it is. Uh, but at least they're, they're interested. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. And they're learning how to look after things because after their third death, they go, well, obviously doing something wrong there, well, you know, to save money. So, yeah, they're really putting their hands in. Yeah. And, you know. and what they don't realise is it's so good for their health as well. That's it's right, been well documented. Absolutely. Just yeah. even having, a, you know. Famous study. At work, having a plant on your desk, mm. um, yeah. it can make such to a difference. To sick, sick building syndrome. The Dutch did a Absolutely. study on it back in the, I think it was back in the 90s, and they found that actually the, the best plant to counter sick building syndrome was mother-in-law's tongue. There you go. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, did you know, you know that, well, I consider it, you know, awful, the old spider plant? Mm. They yes. used to have hang baskets. Yes, And that yes. makes all the little babies hanging on strings. Yes. They sent that up with astronauts in space because it was the most cleansing oh, plant to, to give oxygen back into the air. There you go. So that daggy old plant daggy. is really <laughs> useful. Do they send them in macrame hangers as well? <laughs> 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 but they're in too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, we must get to our next caller. We have uh, Jill out in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam and panel. Um, yes, look, I... I was trying to ring it last week, actually. Yes, I remember. Couldn't get through. Um, But I was wanting to ask, I've got a beautiful, or had a beautiful, weeping cherry snow fountain, one of the ones that goes right Mm. down to the ground and, you know, masses of gorgeous branches and so on. At the moment, it is entirely bald except for a fringe of leaves at ground level. The possums have just ravaged it. Robin, your lovely off-air volunteer, has told me to watch Jerry Colby on the garden show. I was just going to say that. I will will do that because I was literally swearing in the dark and trying to hose the possum out last night. (laughs) Basically, he was using one of his own chilies that he grows to mix up a chilli brew, but it was a a particularly hot chilli. It was... Butchalokia? Through the... ghost chilli? The ghost. The ghost chilli. That's right. What's it called? It's called the ghost Ghost chilli. Look, I'll I'll watch it on on the thing. The thing I was actually wanting to ask you about, uh, in addition to that, is on... Some hot, really hot days, I've put an old fitted sheet over the poor bald crown because I was Good worried idea. about the yep. branches and the trunk burning. Uh, burning. Do yep. you think that that is necessary? Yes. Yes, I do. Yep. Yep. And it, it won't, will it slow down leaf regrowth if I ever get any? Having the sheet there? Not at this stage. It'll just be in um, hospital mode, that plant, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, And then, oh, I don't know. I mean, if we if we get some, some overcast rainy days, of course, take the sheet off and let it get a good yeah. watering. Yes, I sort of have to peg it round. It's a bit of a problem because the, the plant is... The tree well, is if, if you can just undo me, the pegs on one side so that you can lift it over a little bit without sort yeah. of totally detaching it. Yeah, the other thing you could do would be 
put four uh, like um, star pickets around the tree, it's higher tall. than it's tall. It's about um, yeah. You'd have to get someone in maybe to do it to help huge, you. I mean, I don't know that there are. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's grown magnificently. It's been wonderful. It's it's in a um, it's a perfect plant for. It's, I've grown it in the fork between two paths. All right. Yeah. That meet, you know, so that yeah, the, the path forks, and then in that fork area. The, the, you know, it's a it's a tree that beautifully contains hides the fence. Yeah. I'd be Doesn't, putting some netting over somehow. Well, the trouble to... is, I have found with netting that the bloody possums will eat through the netting. They reach in oh, and pull yes. the leaves out. Yes. Uh, and so, yes, I've, I believe me, I've tried a lot of. I've got three mm. owls. One of those ones from Bunnings that's supposed to hoot and have its eyes light up, and all it, it, it doesn't sound anything like an owl. It goes. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> And the possum is clearly unimpressed. Yes. You know, he was sitting right under that owl when I found him last night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, God. Anyway, look, I will, I will do the Jerry thing, but also, yes, I will keep on with the um, putting the, the uh, sheet on and off. Um, I can get my tall husband to help me throw it over yeah. and stuff. Yes, yeah, It's not impossible, but I, I don't think the stakes will quite do yeah, it. Yeah, but I was, really... I was thinking if the stakes are, say, at least a foot higher than the top yeah. of the crown. It would be very hard because the, cause the, the weeping cherry is taller than your average weeping oh. cherry. It's, oh, it's up right. Sounds by now. It's up about... Um, Oh, two and a half metres. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it's quite a lot taller than, than mm. my husband. Yep. Who's six foot, yeah. Okay. Mm. Yes, but, but yes, no, I'll do the, do the sheet here, you know, but yes. Oh, if there was an easy so answer to your question. Enraged. Yeah, You're not alone, Jill, as no, I can no. say. And, and we had some success with uh, not just hosing the possum. My husband used to be a night owl and go out with a karcher gun <laughs> and get them in. Wait, gun? No, those high pressure spraying guns. You'd attach it, your hose to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, it cleans paths and whatever you want to do. But to, he used to spray the possum and they didn't like that one bit. <laughs> so no, no, would, they, they don't. Well, I have hosed this one with the, with the hose on. Yeah, but you that's know, not, it doesn't hurt the, them. This the actually thing, you know, gives the, them a fright. Not, you know, it's got, the hose fitting's got a thing that makes it go. No, it's not one. good enough, Jill. No, no it's not. It's not. <laughs> you've got to be, you've got to be mean and you've got to do it for a little while and then they stay away for a few months. Yeah. At all. Mm. <laughs> well, that's when you give it up. But it means yes, yes. No, well, I'll, I'll certainly. Uh, I don't know where I get hold of those extra strong chilies. Um, I'll just have to try my green grocer and say what's the strongest you've you, got. You probably have to grow your own. There, are, there are quite a few places sell the plants or the seeds yes, now. Bit, yeah. Unless I can get them. Oh, I'll try my local to see some... if I've got if they've got them in fruit. So to speak, but yes, I don't want to wait. Um, no, any Jill, longer. Jill, the other, the other thing I would recommend if you're after them is to contact um, Renaissance Herbs. They've got the oh, Herb yes. and Chili Festival mm. coming up, actually, seventeenth and eighteenth of March. But he would, he grows on um, so many varieties of chilies. Oh right, now what was the uh, herb and chili? Rena- Renaissance Herbs. Um, yes, and as I say, there's a Herb and Chili Festival coming up, um, 17th and 18th of March. But I can also give you a phone number. Oh, thank you. Uh, 9735-2962. And if you, if you say you've got a quest for some, for some ghost chilies. Ghost chilies, yes. Yeah. Yes, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just sure it similar. All down. Or similar, and I'm sure that uh, you'd probably through them manage to get hold of a plant. Yep, thank you so much. Did you know where the uh, where the the festival's going to be? Lilydale. 
It's it's Wandon officially. Yes, Wandon. Wandon. Right. It's it's one two five Quail Road in Wandon, which is just off the Warburton Highway. That's that's for the festival. That's yeah. for the festival. Yep. Oh, yep. I think that is actually at at Renaissance Herbs yep. at their. Yep. I see. At but their nursery. Be- Good excuse to get out in the country and, yeah. and perhaps well, go, go, go for a hike afterwards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> to soothe my fevered brow, I think <laughs> of the problems. <laughs> Look, thanks a million. That's fantastic. A whole lot of good ideas I've got now. Okay, good yep. on you. Best of luck with that. Thanks a million. Yeah, bye. bye. Yeah, the old possum question, it really is a yeah. a bit of a... Interesting, uh, mm. he was saying that um, a hot chilli to us to eat is like a thousand percent on the chili rating scale, mm-hmm. but this it's ghost one is like one it's million. A million. Yeah, that's <laughs> which right. It's just outrageous. And he had to wear gloves. Yep. Really heavy duty and a face mask to yeah. mix it up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'd be very wary. But it, but he also tried lesser chilies first, but the possums got used to it. Right. So yeah. in Jill's case, she could try mm. just a. a, a a lesser hot one to start with. And there's some recipes in, in I know there's recipes in Penny Woodward's. Yeah, um, Organic Gardener and stuff there. Or yeah, her books. Or, or in her books. Um, yeah. But, but um, Renaissance Herbs would be the ones because they go they through want. the full gamut of, of range of chilies. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so sure. that's where I'm sure she'd have it. We've been asked very quickly if I can give out the details again um, uh, of the Western Australian wildflowers. This is actually a talk being given for the Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group. It's coming up this coming Friday, March the 2nd, um, and it's going to be talking all about the uh, the spring wildflower trip that uh, Chris and Anne took with the Friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens last year. Now, the meeting commences at 7.45. The address is Raleigh or Raleigh Road Activity Centre, 54 Rally Road in Maribyrnong. That's spelled R-A-L-E-I-G-H. Rally Road in Maribyrnong. Uh, plant sales before and after the talks. And for more details, phone Anne. That number is 9336-3228. We have run out of time. Goodness me, we do have to go. A huge thank you to the team. And also to Rosemary and Robin, who've been handling all the calls. We'll be back uh, next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.